crazy love, crazy decisions. If uh, you want to turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4, and we'll read... This has been read numerous times in different verses in this, this chapter throughout this month, but it's a great, uh, great passage. And uh, it says... I'll turn there as well. First John chapter 4, we'll be reading verse 9 and 10, and then we'll be reading verse 19. says in verse 10, it says, This is love, that not that we loved God, but that He... Sorry, I'll start in verse 9. I've jumped ahead there. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What an amazing scripture. And then down in verse 19, we love, we love because He first loved us. God showed His amazing love by sending His one and only Son. Again, Bino's talked about it in the communion, right? His one and only Son to, to, to live this sacrificial life and not just to live a sacrificial life, but to sacrifice His very own life. And there's just a, a little quick video I just want to show that it kind of gives a, a nice little summary here of what Jesus, Jesus did. Jesus' suffering on the cross is a picture difficult to understand. He was betrayed by a friend, arrested and falsely sentenced to death. He was beaten and whipped, a crown made of thorns pressed into his head, bearing the cross He stumbled and staggered up the hill to Golgotha. Each step of the journey getting worse, spit on, cursed, and mocked. But Jesus never looked back. He kept going. Jesus could have avoided the cross, called down fire from heaven, or summoned legions of angels to rescue him, to save him. But Jesus was not interested in saving himself. He was all about saving you. Every detail of this torturous path to the cross was part of God's plan to bring you to Him. Amen. It, uh, again, it can become familiar to us, but when we really stop and think about really what Jesus did, and you picture it, when Jesus, when, when Jesus was with God in heaven, He had everything Things were going okay. He was in a place where there was no pain, no crying, no sin, no hurt, no... Nothing, everything that's bad here wasn't there. He was in in a place of perfection. And yet he came down to earth. The earth that, as as generations have gone on, we've, we've kind of ruined. He came down as... Not as, again, like some crazy being, but as a, as a human being, as a baby at first, to reach us on our level. He came down not as a king or someone exalted or a privileged individual, but as a working class regular in a town with a bad reputation. And, and he would suffer all the kinds of challenges that, that they did and that we do, just so he could relate to us. And he spoke the truth. 
and, and in return for speaking the truth, for helping and healing so many different people along the way, he was brutalized, falsely accused, condemned, humiliated, tortured, abandoned, and betrayed. And although he was the only person that really by God's decrees wasn't guilty of, of a death, he, he chose to die the worst possible suffering death. Death on a cross. And in doing so, he showed just this willingness to take blame that wasn't him, wasn't his, and suffer punishment he did not deserve. And he did that for people who, like the game meetings were saying, wouldn't appreciate it. Would never deserve it. Never deserve, never earn that mercy. He did all of that with, without any guarantee that any of us would even follow. Would even care, listen or respond. And the crazy thing is he did all that just to create like a chance, an opportunity for us. Just a window of opportunity for people to accept that sacrifice for their life. And you think when you think about that and when you really think about that, that's crazy love. That's crazy love. That's, it doesn't get any crazier than that. Though I, I'm not a parent, but it's Mother's Day and, and I can't imagine the thought of even just sacrificing yourself, but sacrificing one of your children for people who are guilty and for people who most likely, many will, will never appreciate it, respond or change because of it. Wow. Imagine doing like that. That is crazy love and and if you if you thought you were having a, a bad day today um, this hopefully will make you feel a little bit better so that's that's a guy canoeing and that's I don't know how big that shark is but that's a great white shark and that guy's in trouble he, he needs someone to rescue him and and really, that, that's kind of like us spiritually. That, that we had a terrible death, a terrible thing coming straight for us. And we needed a peacemaker. Someone to intercede in this moment. And Jesus did exactly that. Interceded even though the people might not even realize he's done it. But to take that, that, that death, that, that punishment that, that we was coming for us. He did something so scary, vulnerable, and he just put himself all out there. And, and it's kind of it's kind of like that first moment you tell someone you love them. That's a scary moment. It's it's that moment where you you're vulnerable. You've said it and you're kind of just hoping the person says it back. <laughs> and doesn't say something like Thanks. Like, oh, thank you. Or, no, you're. I, I like you too. Or, thanks. I'm kind of hungry. It's it's a vulnerable moment. But that's kind of what Jesus did. He made that first move. He said, "This is how much I love you." And so, what is your response? Crazy love. It demands a response. And if you don't respond, then that is your response. That's an awkward one in a situation like that. 
Crazy love demands that we make crazy decisions. And really, there's just two decisions I want to focus on today. Um, Two decisions that, that need to be made. And the first decision is to give your life to God. Give your life to God. If you guys want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, in verse 36. And if you don't have a Bible, snuggle up close to someone who does. And ask, get to know the name first, maybe before that moment, but do that. Or if, if you're an introvert like myself, quickly download the Bible app so you don't have to do that. Or jump on Bible Gateway. Um, but open Acts chapter 2, and uh, we'll be reading verse 36 to 41. Um, and just a bit of, bit of background, because we're coming in here... To many of you, this will be a familiar passage, but we're coming in here at at a time kind of right near the end of of Peter, who's been preaching a sermon. Um, He's been been standing up before a crowd of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of people who've all travelled to Jerusalem for this big Jewish festival called Pentecost. Um, And he's been preaching this sermon in front of all these people, and and the audience here is, is similar to us, in the sense that they've kind of just been faced with the death burial and resurrection of Jesus. They've been faced with that, the fact of their sin and the cross, and, and they, they've been faced with this idea that he's been that, that the, he was the Son of God and he was tortured and killed, all the punishment, all the pain, and, and that's what these people are starting to, to come to realise. And so we'll pick up in, um, in Acts chapter 2, of verse 36. It says, Peter says, Therefore, because of inside of all that, in view of all that, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message, his message, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. He starts off, he says, I I want you guys to realize that that you, that, that your sin crucified Jesus. And, and how did they feel about that? Well, it says they were, they were cut to the heart. That, that moment of like the penny drops, guilt cuts, that moment of, of conviction of, oh no, what have we done? When, when the reality of Jesus' death, resurrection clicked in their minds, they, they wanted to know, what do we do? And they asked exactly that. They said, what shall we do? What should we do? And it wasn't, what should we think? How should we feel about this emotionally? What should we intend to do? It was, no, no, what should we do? What should we do in response to this? How do we make this right? How do we right this wrong that we've done? And the crazy thing is, is that most of these people have just traveled in recently. And they wouldn't even have been there for Jesus' crucifixion and death. So it's not like they were, they were there shouting out, no, but they realized, wait, it, it was our sin that, that put him on the cross. That, that it was our sin. That, and same for us, that, that although that happened so long ago, that we too can read this and say, 
Whoa, wait, I crucified Jesus. I am responsible. And we do, as much as we shouldn't just dwell on guilt, we do need to let facts convict us. We do need to let this fact convict us. Not just so we stay there, but so that we ask this same question. What should we do? And Peter responds, and he says in verse 38, he says, Repent and be baptized. It's very clear, isn't it? He says, repent and be baptized. Uh, if you were standing there on that day and you were convicted and, and you wanted to have your sins forgiven, would there have been any confusion about what to do next? No. No, it's pretty straightforward, actually. It was clear repentance and baptism was a way to, as he says in verse 38, to have your sins forgiven and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was so clear. If you were standing there, what would you have done? You would have done exactly that. But now there's, there's obviously a lot of confusion about this idea of forgiveness of sins. And even, even the idea of really what it means to repent and be baptized. What does, what does that really mean? And, and I want to look at, at Romans 6 briefly. Um, Romans 6, which I believe shows the significance of repentance and baptism, why this is, is an important thing. And, and the idea of repentance, many of you will know this hopefully, but those of you who don't, it's this, this idea of mind change. This idea that, that you have this full on shift, that your eyes kind of have been opened. That you finally see clearly what's in front of you. It's this idea of you're turning your life to God and giving over your life to trust Him. To trust His teachings, trust His promises, trust His way of life as an example for the way that we should live our lives. And in Romans 6, verse 1 to 7, I'm going to turn here really quickly. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. Paul paints such an amazing picture as he writes to the church in Rome. He says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer live, no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. That's a really encouraging passage as we, we focus in here. But, but Paul, he's been speaking to the disciples and he wants them they're in a t- tough spot and they started to think, well, maybe the more we sin, maybe the more grace we'll receive. Kind of a bit of a warped idea. And he says, no way should you say that, should you think that. And he said, I want you to remember the moment that you became a Christian. And what does he point them back to? The moment they died, were buried and raised again. And not a literal death and burial, but, but one of repentance and baptism. The moment they died to self... They had this mind change, this realization that the, the old way of life, that, that's meaningless. That's not going to bring fulfillment. And, and I need to be done with that way of life. And it's amazing because through faith, repentance, baptism, 
God, it says here, God doesn't just forgive our sins, but it says he sets us free from sin. And that for me is a really encouraging thought to think about. That I'm not just being wiped clean, I'm actually being set free. Because isn't that how sin and, and the mess of this world can sometimes feel? Just like enslaved. Just you, ha- you have no hope, no, no chance of, of being able to break free. And, and God's saying, no, when you repent and get baptized, when you die to self and are buried in baptism and, and raised to a new life through your faith, because I also set you free. You are no longer slaves to sin. But you must choose to die. You must choose to die to sin. Again, not physically, but spiritually. Because then and only then can God resurrect your life. Again, this life can, be, can feel tough, dark, but because of what Jesus did, because of His crazy love, that there's this light that breaks free, breaks through. This hope that we have. And we need to understand the power that we have in Jesus' death, burial, resurrection gives us the power to repent and die to sin and to live a new life for Him. Again, John Ortberg describes it as death is the prerequisite to resurrection. The new life God intends. We need to repent first. Have this decision of I'm done with that old way of life. And it's not that you can do that on your own. That's just the moment where you decide and then you decide to submit to Jesus and let Him free you from that life. Who wouldn't want freedom? Who wouldn't want freedom? But but we need to make a decision to go after that. And the question is, is do you feel free right now? Do you feel that that sense of, of newness in your heart, in your life? This freedom from sins that were plaguing you. And maybe you do feel it now, but, but do you feel it throughout the week? Have you felt that? If no, or maybe, or I'm not sure, well, well maybe it's, it's a chance to go back and say, have I actually truly repented? Have I had this, this radical mind change, this decision to die to that old way of life? If not, I encourage you to speak to someone today about that. Speak to someone and say, okay, I, I want to figure out what, how do I actually do that? What does that look like? What does that really mean? So first you need to repent and then you're ready to be baptized. And and baptism, really, what is baptism? Again, it just literally means immersion or to be submerged. Um, And in regards to conversion, it's in water. And in this chapter, Paul actually says, he says that when you're baptized, he says it's not just some sort of symbol, but it's the moment that we're connected to what happened 2,000 years ago. It's how we, we tap into that power That's right. that yeah. happened all the way back then. Yeah. He says, actually, it's that moment you are buried just like Jesus was buried. And just like he was raised, you also get raised to a new life. Mm. Verse 4 says that we're buried through baptism into death so that we may live a new life. Mm. Without baptism, there is no entry into that new life. And you think, why? Why did he choose that? Well, again, it, it, the connections are just so obvious, aren't they? Jesus died, was buried, raised. We die, buried, and get raised too. The connection is so clear. It's how we connect to something that happened so long ago. But it's a New Testament truth that's not popular today. No. That's right, Matt. But again, I, I just want to encourage you. If you were standing there at Acts 2, what would you do? Yeah. 
I don't, I don't think there'd be any argument if you were truly convicted. And so I just want to encourage you, there's some great scriptures here to, to write down as well. John 3 verse 5, Acts 8, 1 Peter 3. They're great scriptures that, that also talk about this idea. And if this is a confusing idea, that's fair enough. There's so much confusion out there. I encourage you, ask someone to study this out. Don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Study it out in the scriptures. Dig and search. Dig and search for what's the truth. Yes, you need faith and repentance, but you need to be buried in His name as well. And baptism is is where we put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross. It's this declaration. Have you made that decision yet? And really, it's it's a decision of trusting God and His word. Over your feelings, over traditions, over what people say. Trusting God and His crazy love. Again, if you're in the process of making that decision, what's holding you back? Fear, fear of what people think. Maybe it's it's fear of what your family will think. Fear of, of, of losing something. Fear of the unknown. Fear of change. Insecurity that you're not good enough maybe. Or won't be good enough. And I just want to encourage you, don't let those thoughts stop you. God's crazy love can overcome all of that. Again, make the decision to give your life to God. So you can too can, can experience this amazing new life. And I just want to encourage you that that may be like a wall, like maybe this is my first time here, I need to... No, take a step at a time. Speak to someone today about this idea though. And once you've made that, that first decision, once you've made that decision to, to give your life to God, then it's the decision to live your life for God. To live your life for God. And in Acts chapter 2, if you guys want to turn back there or if you've stayed there, Acts chapter 2, straight after... 3,000 people decide to become disciples. Uh, we get an image of, of what it looked like to live for God. What it looked like to be a disciple in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, as we see in this passage, when, when they became Christians, when they gave their life to God, when they made that decision based off God's crazy love, it radically changed everything. It radically changed the way they live. It, it didn't just change their weekend schedule or some beliefs that they had or um, their library at home. It didn't just change where they sent their kids to school. It didn't just change the, the music they listened to or wh- whatever it may be. It changed everything about them. People who, many of these people would have been complete strangers before this event. And yet here we, we get this image of this amazing family of people coming together. And, and again, they, they went and, and all of a sudden they're using everything, Right? They use their time, energy, resources, emotions, and money. It, it, it's amazing that they were blown away so much by what God did. It changed everything about them. And, and even just, 
some of the things that are said here, it t- talks about how they sold property and possessions. Actually, think about that. People selling property and possessions to give to those in need. The love they felt for each other. They, they met together every single day. Building these new bonds again with people who previously were most likely strangers. And they did that not begrudgingly, but but with gladness and sincerity. And, and not just that, but, but they were sacrificing for one another. It was as though other people's lives were their very own life almost. And they didn't just go to a church service and say, we'll see you next Sunday. But they were in each other's homes and in each other's lives. And they gathered in public places in the temple courts to, to be able to share this message with others. And it's amazing, because of that, God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day, more people were making a decision to give their life to God. When we get God's crazy love, we will decide to live for God. Not because, oh, I have to, but why would I not? And what a radical life that they, they give us as an example. This wasn't just religiosity. And and I want you to picture yourself. Imagine being in this church. Imagine how that would have been like. No wonder people were getting added added to that daily, right? What, what What an amazing picture this was. But And again, I think it's amazing because their conversion wasn't the pinnacle of their faith. It was just the beginning. And I think this is something that, that I know I've struggled with and I think that we can struggle with is that it can be easy for the time when we first make that decision to become a disciple or a Christian for that to kind of be the best we ever do spiritually. And kind of at, at that point it can, it can almost be as though it's kind of like downhill from there. Oh man, I remember when I made that decision how great that was. It shouldn't be like that. That's not the way God intended he wanted us to, to every day to rely on Him more, to trust in Him more, to, to grow in our love and our faith. To, to keep living for Him. But I know for myself, I think, man, at, at different points it went all downhill. And my, my times with God were less and less consistent. I wasn't eager to share my faith at all. My impurity got worse and worse. And, and but, but God's saying that that's not what it's meant to be like. That we are meant to every day grow in our living for God each and every day. Grow in our love, grow in our spiritual maturity. And, and in fact, some of us may even think, I've made that first decision, and, but it actually may be that as you inspect the second decision, you may actually realize, maybe I actually didn't really make that first decision. I want to encourage you, I think, that's that's something to not look at lightly. That's something to really study God's word. But that's something to be humble about as well. And say, amen, if I didn't, then let me make that decision now. Before it's too late. Where are the crazy decisions? Are you truly living your life for God? Really? Because God's crazy love for us, the only only logical response is to live our life for Him. And, you know, I think many of us enjoy coming to, to church services or even our small groups that we have, and, and we discuss a lot of great ideas. Um, but I think de- definitely the part that can be hard that, 
for all of us, and myself included, is the, the putting that part into practice, right? Yeah. The actually, the living it out. And I think it could be... The dangerous part is that sometimes we can get comfortable just discussing these ideas. And, and kind of the good intentions make us think, oh, great, I've thought about it at least. But I think we see that just discussing ideas it isn't enough. And that would be kind of like uh, when I was a child and, and I was living with my parents, um, and my parents came to me and they said, look, we want you to go clean your room. <laughs> That's not a natural image of my room. My room was worse than that, no. Um, but I said, look, we, we, want you to, we want you to go and clean your room. And imagine, imagine if I came back an hour later and I said, Mom, Dad, I've, I've memorized what you said. Go, go clean your room. I'm pretty sure that's what, how it went. I even know how to say it in Greek. <laughs> I've really studied this thing out. <laughs> no, my room was worse. Um, they were, um, okay, um, that's, I guess that's helpful. That's good. You've memorized that. But hopefully you won't forget. But have you done it? Well, no. no I've been busy, actually. Uh, me and a bunch of friends have actually decided we're going to meet up weekly and discuss what it would look like to clean my room. <laughs> and exactly where every single thing should go and, and what it would be like and how amazing that room would be and, and how happy that would make you. And, and, but, but then we, we're also going to spend a lot of time praying about it first because I want to make sure we do it exactly the way you told me to do it. <laughs> no, my parents would be like, just go clean your room. And... And amen, we, we need to memorize scripture, we need to discuss it with one another, but, but at some point we need to actually go and do it. Yeah. We need to go and actually live this out. This isn't legalism, this is, this is just us responding, this new life that Romans 6 describes. We're not doing it to gain His love, we're doing it because He loves us. And, and I think the 31 Acts of Love challenge that we had this month was a great opportunity for that. And hopefully it was a great opportunity for it to not be linked to just being religious, but but actually just loving people with no ulterior motive. People you normally wouldn't love. And, and, and I, I want to encourage you, how, how did that go? I, I really hope you felt the, the refreshment that comes when we love and serve others. And, and if it didn't go well, then maybe April can be the month for you. Say, well, it doesn't just have to be a camp. I, I should be doing this each and every day. I want to encourage you, let God's crazy love spur you on to live a life for Him. God is saying, I've proven myself to you. I love you so much and and I will keep showing my love to you. Again, why, why would I sacrifice my son like that if I didn't love you more than you can imagine? And because of that, He's saying, you can trust me. You can trust me. I love you. And I have your best interests in mind. Because I think so often we don't live for God because we, we forget God's love, but we, then we stop trusting God. And we think we kind of need to play both sort of fields. We're like, okay, I, I'll sort of live for you, but I also need to make sure this life I live for me too. Because what if this doesn't really work out? And we need to say, no, no, no. We can trust God. He's proven that to us time and time again. And again, I just want to encourage you, don't take this idea and just... 
walk out of here and, well, those were some nice thoughts. Make a decision today. Make a decision today to, to live your life for God. What will that look like for you? What will that look like for you? And to really conclude here, what God did through, through sending Jesus to live a tough life, to, to live a life that we can't even imagine, to, to go through a death we can't even imagine for us, that's crazy love. God has proven that He loves us. And I hope throughout this month you've, you've, you've wrestled with that. And those of you who've maybe read the book Crazy Love by Francis Chan, I hope you have, have grasped that and let that be the foundation for everything. He's proven that we can trust Him, that He has our best interests in mind. We can, what crazy love He has for us. But that crazy love demands that we make some crazy decisions. What crazy decision do you need to make today? Again, I just want to encourage you, spend time dwelling on this, spend time discussing it, but then spend time doing it. And let's, let's see the way God will work through our faithful decisions. God will work powerfully amongst us, but powerfully in the city of Birmingham.